Mindset. Welcome to the Ascend Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. Together, we are all wisdom novices. Hey, what is up everyone? This week on the Ascend podcast, we're joined by Cadell Last. He is an anthropologist, a philosopher with an interest in biocultural evolution, history of the mind and the universe and also human future. And he is currently working as a PhD student at the Global Brain Institute. He also writes for the Huffington Post, Scientific America, Humanity Plus magazine and many other places. So as we all know, life is filled with unanswered questions. But in my opinion, it is the courage to seek those answers that continues to give meaning to life. And something on my journey that I've really uncovered is that when searching the far reaches of my own mind and many other minds, is the more you're searching, the more you keep finding more and more questions, which is beautiful. And I actually find that the The questions with no answers are the questions with no barriers that cannot be breached. In other words, what I mean by that is the questions with no answers really show to us and highlight how the human possibilities are endless. And I've always been someone who's been fascinated by the human possibilities. And to me and Chris, we just love bringing these questions to you and exploring all the possibilities that could have happened or maybe on the cusp of happening. And in relation to asking questions, I actually came across a, a little beautiful passage. I'm not sure who did it. Maybe it was someone who listens to this podcast. But anyways, it says, have patience with everything that remains unsolved in your heart. Try to love the questions themselves. Like locked rooms and like books written in a foreign language, do not now look for the answers. They cannot now be given to you because you could not live them. It is a question of experience and everything. At present, you need to live the question and perhaps you will gradually, without even noticing it, find yourself experiencing the answer some distant day. Beautiful. And if you do really want to to live some more questions, this is a podcast for you because we go all the way from future humans, evolution, immortality, consciousness, psychedelics, humans drive to seek knowledge and so much more. This was a great conversation with a very interesting person. So just before we jump with this one, if you do believe in what we're doing and want to support this podcast, you can now do so by going to our Patreon page and checking out all the different reward tiers we've set up for you. We even have a $2 reward tier which gives you access to bonus content, special bonus conversations and podcasts and other rants. And you might actually be thinking, what's the point in only donating $2 a month? But this is not the case because if all you who listen to this podcast even just donated $2 a month, it would really help us take this to the next level. We've also just added a new one-hour bonus conversation to that Patreon page as well. So if you would like to check out all of the bonus content that we keep adding to the Patreon page, all you need to do is just join the Patreon community and in the process support the podcast. And I just also want to say as well that we love that you are coming on this journey with us. We're a part of your journey, but you're a big part of ours. So anyway, let's jump this one. Enjoy.
I also, I also, I, I've always been interested in in big questions, but I felt like uh, I'm sure, as you guys have been as well, I, I, um, I also got lucky, I think, to find the right programs that would support th this type of inquiry. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. I think it's, I think it's hard to find. Um, it's often hard to find a, a home, a home if you're asking the biggest question. Yeah. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah. People want truth. But in the yes. in the in the tide, a lot of people try to tend uh, try to steer away from uh, things that they're unsure of. Just because I think it's more of a safety mechanism that um, the human evolution has. To be honest, that's why a lot of people steer away from questions that don't have any truth to, or anything that might challenge them. I mean, I, I find I find the more the more I um because I like asking them big questions that yeah, so no, one, no one knows the answers to, and the more the more I ask them questions, it just it gives me more and more excitement in my life for me anyway. Just opens up a new opens up a complete new world. Yeah, the unknown. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it might it might be that that many of those big questions are so open ended and and almost you know many many of them are unanswerable, but but it might be that that scares people away. I know I often encounter. I know I often often encounter people who they just have um the psychological disposition that they would rather focus on questions that had a concrete answer in the next month than to open up a question that they know will take them their whole life to really unsort and unpack yeah i, th I was just going to say i think there's something missing as well when you actually when you're going down them paths of like trying to look for just a concrete answer you're forgetting about the creative consciousness inside which i believe is the most valuable amazing thing that we've actually ever had mm -hmm. yeah well i mean i i i i well i guess i would te would tend would tend to agree agree with that because when you're when you're opening up those big questions um that will take you years and decades and so forth you're you're um you're mostly going through a self journey so you're you're going through a creative self journey and um and uh, in order to become a philosopher, you have to open up yourself. So if you don't want to open up yourself, then you're necessarily going to be limited when it comes when it comes to focusing on the truth, I suppose. Because um, should should are, are we are we recording now? Yeah, we can we can do we can do if yeah, you want. Yeah, because I was gonna I was gonna actually see it you there as well. Should we just delve in because it's it's rolling? Kind of uh, cool. But I was gonna I was gonna say quickly that uh you know um. I think an important distinction between between science and philosophy has to do with 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 that process because you can be you can be a scientist and not necessarily be too introspective. Mm. Um, you can be a scientist and be introspective at the same time, but you don't have to be. Um, and I think to be to be a philosopher because and 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 science doesn't necessarily concern itself with with truth as as. As it probably would be conceptualized in religious or philosophical um, circles, so I, I think that it's it's still an important distinction to make between between those two things. Yeah, mm. cool. Candel as well. When you see in there as well before, do you have you ever actually? Because I question this all the time, mate. But have you ever ever questioned sort of where deep down them sort of them bigger questions are coming from? Because it seems to me that if we all look through, if you look back through all of even in even in back to ancient times as well, and all the way to now, it seems to be that these these big questions are sort of formulating evolution, but also formulating society as it is now. Have you ever thought about where them questions come? I know it's a big question, but have you ever thought about what, where that where that drive to seek them questions are actually coming from? I I, I think it's I think it's just 
I mean, I, I, there's many different ways maybe I would phrase it. It's, it's something like, like the, the eternity of language or like the eternity of the concept. I think it's, I think it's a part of being in language. I think that I, I just, I, the only reason I phrase it like that is because I remember when I was just a child, four or five, I mean, and I, I remember vividly sort of intuitively having these questions hit me, you know, like, um, why am I alive? And what is the nature of reality? Like, what is, what is the world? And, and I mean, I, I think, of course, as you get older, the, the, the types of reflections and meditations on those questions become more sophisticated. But I, I think it's really just uh, a natural, con- I, it's logos. It's, it's a consequence of that we're in language, I suppose. Yeah, and I was going to say as well, um, Candel, you're, you're definitely someone who's um, who is asking all the big questions as well, and which we absolutely love talking about in this podcast as well. And um, you're sort of when I was was doing a bit of research into your sort of your writings and the things that you are sort of expanding your mind into, you're talking about um, immortality, um, the universe, and expanded expanded mind and. Uh, super intelligence and even human evolution as well and so many other things as well and um, a lot of these topics that you are delving into um, it's very interesting to me as well because I know you were, um, in one of your writings that you were talking about you were talking about how in 2050 you were making sort of a, um, a theory that in 2050 we could actually be looking at sort of a, a different type of species and a different type of species may actually evolve on the planet have you ever thought about what that type of new species may actually be I mean, this is what I was actually thinking there as well. Are we could just to throw something out there? Could we actually be looking at? I mean, are you basically trying to say that we could be walking around and um, with these like Google contact lenses on and having sex with EIs and things like that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when we're facing when we're we're facing the future of human evolution and our relationship to technology, I I I don't know even if the the concept of species doesn't make sense anymore. Like, you know, because the concept of species is something that's so fundamental and so grounded in biology and so so distinctly interconnected philosophically with the notion of of a population that can interbreed and reproduce itself that it may it may not be that that becoming a different species is the right way to frame it but I but I certainly think that there's something on the order of a qualitative transition in our nature. Maybe I would be more comfortable phrasing it like that. Um, in the sense that if, if the three of us were to go back in time to the year 1500, or if the three of us were to go back in time 15,000 years ago, um, we would still be interacting with human beings. Um, even though the cultures would have evolved and the technology would have evolved and the civilization would have evolved, um, you're still basically fundamentally interacting with um, with what we call human beings. And I think that it's certainly possible that if you go a hundred, two hundred years into the future, I I don't I don't focus too much on the exact time scale because it's more the process that I'm interested in understanding, and I don't know if we can make exact predictions on the year or, or something like that but i think if we were to go 100 or 200 years into the future it, it could be that you're dealing with a totally qualitatively different form of entity in terms of its communications in terms of its thinking in terms of its acting in terms of its uh capacity to create and imagine um i think that's that's more the language i would i would want to adopt yeah, by the way, Candel, I love that. By the way, there and um, 
it's very interesting because when you're talking there about the, the concept of a species because that's a very big thing as well and that says to me if what you were saying there if that does come in the future that says to me to get to that position where you're understanding that different that bigger picture of what the species really is I mean just here's an example as well I mean um, we had a guest on the a previous episode um, and he was talking about how people the, you know the word Mayan like the Mayans people used to perceive right. the Mayans as actually like so we have we in this country now you're in a different country now we're in the UK and people like sort of identify themselves as like sort of like by nation nationality and things like that but with this guy in the podcast in the in the previous podcast was talking about how the mayans didn't so the, the word mayan wasn't a sort of a um a cultural recognition it was more of a sense of like a consciousness of like what their whole ethos of what they stood for i mean is that what you're talking about in the future maybe the concept of the species may disappear and may actually be sort of looking towards this more interconnected sort of interconnected understanding that we're all the same thing um, I think what I was, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that if, if the three of us were to go 500 years into the past, again, we would still be able to communicate with the people 500 years in the past. But if we were to go a hundred or 200 years in the future, mm-hmm. there might be forms of intelligence. There might be forms of human, uh, what, what, what human intelligence turns into, um, that we wouldn't be able to understand. And we wouldn't be able to communicate with because they would be it would be a qualitative transition. So, um, like the best example of a qualitative transition that often comes up in um, in singularity literature and evolutionary literature in general is the transition between the great apes and humans, which is um, which is a transition I I focused on a lot. Which is that it's not that it's not that human beings were just a different form of great ape. It's that there's something something happened with the emergence of human beings that led to a, a qualitatively novel phenomena specifically with language and culture and technology that that there's there's not even the capacity for great apes to enter into the cognitive domains that we access just naturally just spontaneously yeah right so 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 it it could it could be that well, oftentimes the analogy is used in singularity theory that in the next 100 or 200 years that a, a, a similar transition will occur, um, something on the order of the emergence of language. And so the most the most often you know posited mechanism for something like that would be the expansion of our neocortex onto the internet or um, forms of communication that are just sort of mind to mind or of a, a of a imagistic representations that go beyond our current capability to 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 represent yeah yeah that's a powerful insight actually and i think um you hit a, a really good point when you said um if we go back to like the transition between apes and humans i mean there is a big a leap especially in intelligence fastness of consciousness understanding awareness and i think right now is like the question now to understand like the future, we have to go back to them little p- parts in the past where we actually looked trying to find where the insight came from. Where was the change in the, in the shift? Um, and I believe that a lot of it came down to like the technology, what was uh, what was found, which left a lot more openness in the human brain, especially when we like we started creating safety. So we started like transition our um, selves away from like danger zones. Like instead of being the hunted, we were the hunters. So technology in that sense changed 
like the apes to the humans I, I believe anyway um, but I think it's interesting now how the technology of today is changing the humans of us into like the next generation which I believe is starting to be like this fast intelligent connection with AI so is this like the type of the future that what we're hoping for what I'm not going to say what we're hoping for but what may happen with our next evolution in every step Right. I mean, I, I, I agree. I agree with a lot of that. I think that there's a there's clearly a discontinuity between the humans and the apes that is connected with technology. Technology played a, a big role. I think that there are a lot of um, studies in the animal kingdom that have shown that other animals um, have simple cultures and they have simple technologies, but um, they certainly aren't on the, the scale of complexity of what emerged with human culture and human technology. Yeah. Um, human culture and human technology has gained a, a ability, an ability for self-recursive self-improvement um, and, and a, a, a preservation of, of complexity over time that other, other organisms, technology, and culture just hasn't, hasn't acquired. And, and we, can, we can debate why that is. It might be related to self-consciousness. It might be related to language. Um, it might be related to the to, to the forms of social groups that we're able to form. We're able to form much larger, complex social groups than other organisms of, of our size, of, of similar size. Um, and I think that that the the consequences of that that feedback loop, that complexification that opened up with our technology is is ultimately what we're talking about when we're. It's that same process that we're talking about now in the 21st century. That's that's going to a higher level of complexification and. And it's precisely that we create technology and then the technology changes us. And then we create more technology and the top technology changes us again. And so this feedback loop is just going to, to uh, become amplified with the development of artificial intelligence. Certainly, it's going to be amplified with the development of nanotechnology. It's going to be amplified with the consequences of genetic engineering. So there's really a, there's really a whole suite of technologies that are emerging. And I think that in order to understand the radicality of their difference to, to past technologies, it, it's that um, we are kind of entering into an environment where we're going to be able to manipulate nature and we're going to be able to manipulate our own nature in a way that just, just in the past wasn't possible. I love that, by the way, as well. And um, it, it's interesting when you said that as well, sort of that, that transition as well. I mean, how do you actually think that sort of that, to get to that place where you were saying there about manipulating nature and things like that? I mean, I mean, through that as well, that's going to obviously cause a very, we're going to be looking at a very sort of different model of reality, let's say. I mean, how do you actually think that sort of evolutionary transition obviously is going to sort of play out in sort of humans' minds? I think I think there's, there's certain, I mean, I think in the 20th century, in the 21st century, rather, we're already seeing the beginnings of the types of science that um, will gain a, a higher level of maturation throughout the century. When, when we're thinking about the history of science from, say, the 16th century to the present, what was happening was we were we seemed to be we seemed to be developing a particularly useful tool, a particularly useful method to understand what nature was. So we, we understood, we tried our best to understand the physics and the chemistry and the geology and the, bio, and the biology. And I think that the, the form of science that's emerging in the 21st century is more a form of science that is gaining 
a type of transformative potential. So it's not just that we're understanding physics or understanding chemistry, it's that we're able to change physics and change chemistry and change biology. So we're able to create new forms of chemicals, we're able to create new forms of physics, we're able to create forms of life. Um, and and this transition uh, has already in some sense is in its like its, its early maturation days, but it's, it's over the course of the next century, this is I think going to become you know, really the, the process to look for and the process to keep your eyes on. Yeah, I think um, I think that's a fascinating insight, by the way. And um, it actually just made me think in the sense there, like, maybe a, like um, uh, like the human itself, uh, the human mind, everything about us has, like, evolved over, like, millions of years. Like, to, to get to this point where we're at now, like, to be this physical being with consciousness with like this whole understanding of the universe I mean we are here right now because of like millions upon millions of years of evolution I mean and we're talking like within a hundred years we can actually completely change the whole process it's, it sounds absolutely fascinating to be honest well it, it is it is a type of I would say the whole emergence of human beings is a type of internalization of the evolutionary process. It's a, it's a type of, it's not, it's, it's an, I, I always say it's, it's like an evolution of evolution. Um, it's, it's, to me, the emergence of the human being is, is on the level of the emergence of life itself. Yeah. Um, because, because it's, because the, the remarkable thing that Darwin did with the theory of natural selection is that with that theory, you can kind of, you can sort of have a, a comfortable, satisfying explanation for the variety of biological forms that exist on our planet and throughout geological history. Mm. But with the emergence of human beings, you have an internalization of that force in the sense that now the selection pressure is, is cognitive on a higher level. Now, now the selection pressure has become aware of itself. Now the, self, now the selection pressure has become self-recursive. Now, now the selection pressure has become self-aware, um, and so, and and now the forms that are being generated are not just genetic forms. They're 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 conscious forms. They're pictorial. They're symbolic. They're technological. So all of those all of those um, levels of the evolution of the of evolution are really what requires i think new forms of evolutionary language that I, I i think darwin wouldn't necessarily have have been surprised that we would need to eventually develop this language because i just recently reread on the origin of species and in the last chapter of on the origin of species he ex he says explicitly that he thinks that the opening up of evolutionary theory to the to the to the world of science necessitated that we rethink the evolution of psychology, that we rethink the evolution of culture, that we rethink the evolution of, of human beings. And so I, I think that these these ideas naturally lead us to, to, to new territory. Yeah, and I, th I think um, I think that's a really, and again, fascinating insight. Um, yeah, and I, th I think Darwin himself had a very uh, lineal approach to that um, the evolutionary process for human beings, which, um, which I don't necessarily agree with. I believe it's a complete breakdown of, like, of um, the destruction of like one, the creation of another, destruction of that one, creation of another, and that's how my, my view on it anyway. But I, I believe on, um, again on on the the very import, uh, the very import, I'd say like 
to completely change this the human vessel, the human human being in a hundred years, is it possible? So I'm thinking. Yeah, I was going to jump in there as well, Candel as well. Just going to say, just to jump on Chris's point there as well, because it's very interesting. That he was actually thinking the same thing that I was thinking of, because when you said the word before, like sort of evolution on evolution. Um, so when, when even Chris proposed the question, you and you and uh, Chris were talking about before about how um, let's see even we know that even fifty years something something else is coming around the corner. We maybe even in fifty years time we're going to be becoming something else again. And even if you look back the last fifty years as well, we've there's still been this big transitional period and gap from there as well. But it's interesting to me how actually how will when you were saying before you started talking about consciousness, I'm actually thinking about. I mean, I'm I'm making the question is are people actually ready for that conscious leap? Because we still know now that I mean, even over the last fifty years, people are still sort of, even over the last fifty years, people are still sort of living in the past in terms of their own consciousness. I mean, this in, in the next fifty years is going to be another big leap again. I mean, I, I'm actually question, question, asking the question: Are people ready for that in their in their minds? I think I think uh, unquestionably no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think there's. There's there's no there's no doubt that in in terms of in terms of my experience of the 21st century and and probably 99% of people's experience of the 21st century are are we're living in different worlds. Yeah. Um. I, and and for for me, thinking about the actual social implications um, of the the types of the types of technologies and the types of co- uh, consequences that that seem to be an inevitable um, extrapolation of what's going on in the world of science and technology uh, just lead to so many questions that it's it's hard to know where to start. And and I I yeah, yeah. I, I I would say personally that my intuition and and my my research points me towards the direction of we need a totally different cognitive social theory of society and and a way of a way of collectively discursively mediating these changes or else there's going to be increasing division increasing conflict increasing antagonism increasing confusion because all of these technologies fundamentally change what it means to be a human being. And, and I think that people are going to be so scared and so fearful of that horizon, and perhaps with good reason, um, that there may be a radical return to tradition, which we are already seeing, I think. Um, there may be new forms of radicalism that we currently can't anticipate, which wouldn't surprise me given the last few years either. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and there's no, there's no easy, there's no easy scientific answer here because I think really when we're talking about the development of society itself and the becoming of humans and steering a, a navigation or steering or navigating a process towards becoming something different or something other than we currently are really takes us into the realm of philosophy or even religion or or just totally different ter- totally different scientific territory than we've been in the past 
Yeah, I was going to say as well, in one of them, um, one of the questions that was on my head there when you were t- talking about how it actually goes in the realms of philosophy, in terms of when you were saying before, there's so many questions that does need to be asked in many different areas in terms of what's going to come in the future and things like that. Um, one of them big things that does, when you mentioned the word philosophy there, uh, goes up to philosophy on my mind is um, immortality. And um, I know as well, this is a big question that uh, you've sort of been asking yourself as well. And um, what's your general thoughts on on around the future of immortality? I mean, do you actually think it's, it could, is it actually possible? Well, I think my views on my views on immortality have 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 changed have themselves changed and evolved a lot and and I'm and I have the more I think about it the more questions and the more the more problems come up in my mind um I I would say that I would say that the idea of immortality I've always found it interesting that the idea of immortality has is not a new idea it's been around since the beginning of human civilization so even the the first writings we have and the first stories we have um are are typically centered around or at least related to the idea of living forever so it's it's a very old idea and i think that the the desire for it um is 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 probably never going to go away as long as there are finite mortal self-conscious entities, I'm sure that there will be some of them who are dreaming of of extending it indefinitely. I think that practically there's enormous enormous philosophical questions about identity that immediately emerge. Like if I extend my life for the next 1,000 years, um, it, Will the will the Cadell that exists in a thousand years be anything even remotely like the Cadell that's talking to you now? Yeah. Um, you know the, the 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 radical nature of identity transformation immediately to me becomes, you know, at least an enormous question. I I I think that the the. I think I think that we're we're going we're going to push life extension we're going to push life extension as far as we can push it and I I I'm becoming increasingly hesitant to speculate further than that because I think there's a whole bunch of interesting questions that emerge yeah definitely as well and um it, it was a very good point that by the way as well and it it was saying to me as well when you were saying that as well it's very interesting because I was thinking um I mean just let's see a world in the future with sort of where you do have the opportunity to sort of um, ex- like have immortality and things like that that's going to obviously of course completely sort of be a different world from the world that we're living today and obviously if you think about almost every aspect of existence that we know now is sort of um, directly and indirectly based around sort of the assumption around aging and death and things like that and people all people in the minds all believe that they're going to die and things like that so the whole the whole civilization is built around that fact that one day we're going to die but it's interesting to think. It's interesting to think about in the future. See, if immor- if the people do have the the possibility of immortality and things like that, and death and death wasn't sort of, and you have the option to sort of avoid death, things like that. It's interesting to think about when human beings in the future are actually confronted with that question. How would the human mind react? I mean, I was actually thinking this is maybe a question to see your thoughts on as well. I mean, is it actually possible for? Because this is what I was thinking. Is it possible for the human mind to actually sort of step into that path where? when death's not even there if you, you, you know what i mean it's hard to explain that i i think that's precisely the line of thinking that 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 my mind has traveled down as well which is which is that 
I mean, I think de death so fundamentally structures what we know of as as human civilization of and and, and of human life that it, it literally becomes impossible to imagine what a human society would look like that had a immortal or or radically extended life lifespan. I mean, I think the the whole the whole life history trajectory of birth aging uh reproduction and senescence would 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 be would be altered so um and and then not to mention the mo the much more profound what you were talking about that the phenomenological impact of of death i mean i think that the fact that we exist for a finite amount of time is the most and that we are aware that we're here for a fund for a finite amount of time is, is the most defining feature of our existence so so yeah i think that's i think if we become immortal that's the type of thing i was talking about earlier with the qualitative change in the nature of the species or the qualitative change in the nature of what it means of, of the entity that exists because uh, i mean ultimately we wouldn't be human beings in any meaningful sense of the word um i mean i think one of my one of my favorite philosophers um hegel even and not just Hegel, I think many philosophers have have defined humans explicitly in terms of their mortality and have defined human beings explicitly in terms of their finitude. Um, I know Heidegger as well, for example, in Being in Time, identified that as the the crucial defining feature that we were a a, a finite being with a with a, a horizon that pointed towards the future. And and if you change that, then you are you are leaving the human universe, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, that, that that that's but that's the type of qualitative change we're looking at uh, potentially. I think that's the radicality of the thought we need today. It, it's on that level. Yeah, I like that by the way as well. And it, I was actually thinking in my head there as well. I, I would love to ask you this question. I mean, do you think as well this because I've heard a lot of people on this podcast. Uh, we've, had, we've had a few people on this podcast. We've touched on immortality and things like that. And especially as well, one mind co uh, person comes to mind. We had Aubrey Degree on, who you're probably familiar with, who's trying to cure immortality biologically. And um, it's very interesting because um, in that podcast as well, he was he made a question that it, maybe this question should we actually. Uh, generate a, a, a system where we like look at like generate a scientific situation now where we are sort of working towards um, immortality and things like that. He was actually making the assumption: should it actually be up to us to do that, or should it be up to a future generation? Because in relation to that now as well, I'm just obviously um, sort of the par the paradigms that we're sort of operating now in life is obviously going to be completely different, sort of say, to a future civilization. So even if, even for me now as well, looking back on my life now, is even if I just look at sort of how, how much different my thinking is compared to sort of my mum and dad, and then even if you just go a little bit further from that, if I look at sort of my grandparents, and even that's not, in a sense, it's, it looks on a human perspective, it looks like a, a big sort of amount of time. But if you look, look at that perspective from, say, like a cosmic sense, that, that, that's like a blip of a time. I mean, and what I'm actually thinking is, I mean, is this, is a question of immortality, what I'm basically trying to say is, is, is it, should it really be up to us or should it be up to a future civilization to see how their view of immortality yeah. is? Well, I don't, I don't, it, it may not be up to anyone. It may, it might, it might, it might, it might be something that's just a, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I really, I really, I don't think that, I don't think that 
any human being or any human society is in control of the total phenomenon of human being. Yeah, yeah, I like that. The, the, the total phenomenon of human being is in itself. Um, the total phenomenon of human being has a some sort of unactualized potentiality within it, fundamental to it, that points towards immortality. Mm. So, so... I think that what what we are doing in this podcast, it's I mean, it, it, it's 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 discursively unpacking that potentiality. Yeah, yeah. What does that potentiality mean? How do we navigate that space? How do we ensure that we, um, to the best of our abilities and the to the degree to which we are in control of these processes? How do we guide them? How do we navigate them in a fruitful direction? How do we make sense of them existentially for our own being? Um, the, I think those types of things are relevant to ask. I think that whether or not it will happen, it may or may, I, I personally am skeptical of whether that's in any any person's control. Mm. I, I mean, like to give an, to give an example, like, you know, uh, Aubrey de Grey is doing work on radical life extension, but there are so many different labs around the world that are doing research in directly or indirectly related to radical life extension. And it's hard to imagine how you could shut that process down. Yeah. Um, same with artificial intelligence, same with nanotechnology. It's, it's even if you had a global moratorium on those, on those technologies, um, you wouldn't be able to stop radical labs underground from from developing those technologies you wouldn't be able to stop um new minds from being exposed to the types of knowledge that exists on the internet and taking the taking taking these taking this knowledge into their own hands so i think it's just something that we need to discursively mediate over the course of generations and we need and so that's a generational or a dialectical process but I don't think it can be stopped. I think that there's, I think as long as there have been human beings, there have been entities on the planet that have pointed to something beyond themselves, if I could put it in that way. Yeah. Uh, every human culture, every human society has developed complex metaphysical structures that have suggested something more than human beings. Yeah. And I, th I think that now we're just we're 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 perceiving that that metaphysical horizon is actually internal to human history. Yeah, I completely agree with that as well. Now it's something that came to my head there. I mean, I, I see if you agree with this, but it seems to me that um, sort of immortality and the search for like sort of man and woman search for immortality. It seems to me that it's actually sort of driving civilization. Would you agree with that? It's sorry. What it's what in civilization? Uh, driving civilization. Yes, yeah, so there's there's actually a, a a a book I read recently by Stephen Cave that's titled Immortality, and he 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 defends that hypothesis. He he defends the idea that immortality is actually the 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 fundamental driving mechanism of civilization. Um, and I think that yeah, there have been previous philosophers who have made similar arguments that either it's 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 type of as I understand it. It seems to be a type of dialectic between death and immortality. As long as as long as there is a, a species that's conceptually aware of death, mm. 
then the 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 necessary conceptual blanket or the the conceptual um, protection against such a notion uh, is is logically eternal life. Wow. It, so wow. so as I, and I think that that fundamental structure, that dialectic, if you want, between death and immortality, shows up in in as maybe causative of religion. Maybe it's causative of social structures. You know, um, I, I I would certainly my thought points in that direction anyway. Yeah, I um, I completely agree actually, and uh, I think we all agree that it is um, at the forefront of like pushing forth like humans right now is like what we're actually engaging is like oh yeah we need this product to live longer and stuff like that and yeah eat right and we're gonna live longer and yeah the whole emphasis is try to live longer that's what that's what they keep on right. trying to sell us really um but, i'm sorry i was just gonna say Cadell. i was thinking um to get me point i was just gonna say it but to get like the understanding of like immortality and the whole the idea behind it and i think what when dan was talking about like how his mind's different from his parents, and his parents' mind's different from his, from his, uh, from their parents. And I think, right now though, to get an understanding of like how immortality can actually shape and become like more of a us humans is maybe we have to give it to a generation of like, and the next version of ourselves who can actually comprehend this, because right now if we like. If we give this technology, because that's what it would be, it would be like a technology immortality. If we give it to everyone right now, so I know this is not viable, possible, or even really can we even comprehend it, but if everyone got was feeling immortality right now, people would lose their minds because they couldn't, because their all the whole society, their whole way of life is structured, even through just eight years, just to the retirement age. I mean, could you imagine people living in the same job for like five hundred to thousand years and? The, uh, people, people with a um, with a mundane existence who aren't really thinking outside the box would lose their mind with this type of technology. And I think any human would lose their mind. Yeah, I think that, that's I what think that, I think that we're 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 going to be. The, I mean, the, the I mean, I think a few different people in the singularity theory now have have sort of become aware that the final frontier isn't space. The final frontier is the mind. Um, and I and I think that we're we're I mean I think radical any any person who's radically individuated or any person who's radically pushed their creative abilities or any human who's radically pushed their desire for knowledge any human who's radically pushed themselves in any of these we could say maybe directions towards truth or directions towards love um, realize that the the mind is an extraordinarily complex and mysterious uh i don't even know phenomena and 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 we have absolutely zero knowledge of what it means for a society that lives i think we should first say what does it look like for a society that is in entering the mode of radical life extension i think that's a more that's a more concrete question what does it look like for society to enter a process of radical life extension? Because that would be the first step. It, it's not just going to be, here's immortality pills, and all of a sudden we're going to exist indefinitely. It, it'll be something where it'll just be a, a enhanced process that mirrors the processes that have happened in the 20th century. Because in the 20th century, we've gone from an average life, life expectancy of 40 
to an average life expectancy of 80. And so that's a doubling over a course of 100 years. And in the next 100 years, maybe we'll see another doubling. Maybe it'll go from the average life expectancy of 80 to the average life expectancy of 150. And, 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 then, and, and so all throughout that process, there are going to be people like us who are discursively uh, reflecting on what it means, how do I change my life, what does this mean for my, my sex life, my work life, my play life, my, my, my self-development. All of those questions will be, will be unpacked on a societal level. Um, and all we can do is, is be open, I think, be open to becoming, be open to wisdom, and, and I suppose be open to our own partial truth or our own, our own um, you know, however, however you want to word it. Yeah. I like that. And I was actually thinking in my head there, something funny there. I was thinking as well when you were saying about that there, how will it become and things like that. I was thinking of him. We might actually be, be at a time where there'll be adverts on the telly, try, like like different companies battling over the, the immortality pill, saying, oh, you can um, come, come, come to us. We, we, we're, we're, we're a better immortality pill than the other one. <laughs> so, something like that. And you can actually go into, you can go into a pharmaceutical uh, over the, by by immortality pill over the counter. Imagine that <laughs> we put we put our immortality pills with extra happiness. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I mean the the funny the funny thing with that example is um, it, it it seems like no matter what humans do, we won't be able to escape the horizon of capitalism. You know, like yeah, yeah. Like, we're we're immortal, but capitalism is still here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and, uh, and and that's 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 I. I I mean, I think that's maybe the central focus of some of the, um, what would you call it, um, futurist cyberpunk science fiction. Yeah. You know, it's, it's always very, it's always very um, dark, dystopian with a, a very explicit um, emphasis on, on the potential complications of corporate international forces getting a hold of radical transhuman technologies um and i think that that's that's also you know that's also a enormous question yeah definitely i was actually thinking there as well in my head i mean we have we've me and chris have questioned this before as well but just see if if someone does come around the corner and they and they obviously they develop a sort of uh, a formula or whatever you want to call it or a technology that can that can indefinitely sort of end death I mean, there's going to be sort of companies fighting over that, and then there's it's also going to be the case as well. Is it, is it only going to be the if it is something that we need to do? Is it is it going to be the case that the only the super rich have access to? That's what I was thinking there. I I, I personally just in the way in the way um, you were phrasing that there, I guess I, I would I would again want to want to point towards um, being careful with phrasing end of death. I think the way I the way. I think about it is it's not that death will at least at least not in the next 50 or 100 years as far as I can see I, it's not that death will will disappear yeah, yeah. I think it's just that I think it's that the horizon of our potential future life will expand hmm. um so I I don't I don't I don't think it'll be immortality pills or something like that I think it'll just be like you know it'll be commonplace for example to have a um, a, a system of nanobots in your body that are constantly regenerating stem cell populations so that, um, you know, 
you will be able to maintain a particular biological form indefinitely or for a longer period of time than we can now. Um, it will become more commonplace for us to adapt to the to the notion that that you know the way we think about 20 the way we think about 30 the way we think about 40 all of that will break down but i don't think that the i don't think the horizon of death will completely vanish at least not in the initial stages of the process maybe maybe deeper into the process death vanishes but i as i would connect that to what i was saying before that if the structure of death and immortality vanishes as we've known it in human civilization, then we're really dealing with okay, this isn't human beings anymore. This is some sort of this is some sort of godlike. From our perspective, it looks like a godlike entity, I suppose. As well, before I don't see something. Oh yeah, I was, I was just going to say like we perceive them as gods, like in the sense of like if they. If we were looking at some like advanced civilization which had like immortality, we would view them as gods. But probably they they themselves will have to overcome so many obstacles that they wouldn't perceive themselves as gods, which I think is very interesting. It's 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 hard it's hard not I mean it's hard to um uh I I'd say I would say it's hard not to 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 understate how in, how much of our world is shaped by obstacles and challenges um, and problems and especially obstacles and challenges and problems that have to do with time and that have to do with death so it it, it I, I would I would I guess all I would say is that either the structure of their psychology would be so much different from humans that that obstacles and challenges and problems are no longer a part of their cognitive structures or they're going to be dealing with problems and obstacles and challenges as you suggested that are just of a different order than we can conceptualize and that's obvious that's obviously possible because there are problems that the three of us would consider fundamental that chimpanzees just don't even have the ability to conceptualize like um you know, like like we we might we might, for example, be concerned with the problem of quantum gravity, or we might be concerned with the problem of of um, a certain evolutionary problem. We might be concerned with a type of metaphysical problem, um, and those types of problems that many people perceive as obstacles or challenges to overcome are just not even in the, the the cognitive capabilities of chimpanzees. So it could be that 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 qualitatively different entity is simply dealing with obstacles and problems and challenges that we just currently don't even have the ability to conceptualize. Yeah, I like that, by the way. And it's interesting because that question you raised there as well, that ties into what you just said before as well, because I want to go back to when you were talking about how the final frontier of all this could actually be the human mind. And it's very interesting to me because I was thinking about this. So we know that, like we've talked through this podcast, we know that our sort of external world is sort of constantly changing and evolving. And obviously from that as well, it's obviously the argument as well that our internal world is constantly changing as well. So so our, if you look at our sort of technology, uh, technological advances and things like that, they're going to have a huge impact on our internal world. I mean, how do you actually see sort of our internal world changing in the future in terms of, like, let's say, human consciousness? That's, that's, I think, one of the most, that's one of the most, if not the most interesting question. I think it's, it's something that 
I, I don't know if enough of the transhuman literature talks about it, or at least enough of the transhuman community um, actively push pushes that direction. But I, I, my intuition, I suppose, points towards the expansion of possible adventure, the expansion or the exploration of new desires. Um, yeah, my, my, even, even, I guess, forms of forms, I, I form new forms of love in the sense of new forms of interconnect, new forms of very close, intimate connections with others. Um, so I, I, my, my mind points towards adventure. It points towards desire. It points towards love. It points towards what, what is it that really wakes you up in the morning what is it that really excites you what is it that really drives you and I, and I think that anything that allows us to continue to expand those spaces of adventure and those spaces of desire and those spaces of love are going to be things that that exist on this frontier of mind I would I would say um, and and what what mediums um, exist to support that extension um, it could be, could be related to brain machine interface devices. It could be related to immersive virtual reality. It, it, it could be related to to um, um, to to our interconnection and our potential merger with artificial intelligence. Um, but yeah, I, that that's that's where my mind goes. Yeah, I was actually thinking there as well. It's a good, out, brilliant answer by the way as well, because that was a big that was a big question, and. Um, when I was actually, I was actually thinking there, couldn't be mind there, and I hope this sort of makes sense. But I was actually thinking there when you sort of you mentioned the word um, loads of interesting questions will emerge and things like that. I was actually thinking something uh, for me, I come to my mind anyway. Is, is like so we um, we on our, on this podcast we've talked about the simulation theory quite a bit, and um, there's obviously there's there's a lot of people who's on both sides of the fence still on that argument. But what I've noticed with a few of my close friends and things like that. The more that technology is, is is advancing in the world in terms of like computer games and VR and things like that, and argumentary argumentary reality and things like that, more people are now sort of coming to the realization th- like that that possibility is now opening up in their mind. So that's making me ask the question: Is what when technology does come around the corner, what other possibilities like in terms of simulation and psychedelics and the dream world and things like that? How will that also shape people's minds? Because that's going to make people really sort of come to this realization that there may be these possibilities are could could actually be a possibility more yeah i think i mean if if the consequence of these technological changes are i suppose something that we would frame as positive it would be that that the collective human species experienced a a, a more a more empowered space of possibility for for cognitive extension of of their of their mind and i think that in relation to what you were saying specifically for philosophers or for just people who are thinking about these issues it's it's confusing to me what the role between our our quote-unquote actual reality is in relationship to the virtual space that is in some sense merging with our actual reality um i think that the way i see it and the way i i'm reading some developments is that it could be that the virtual space is gaining more and more effective causal power in our actual world 
Um, and so it, it, it could be that those two worlds in some sense merge or synthesize, um, that there's maybe no more, maybe in a hundred years, there's no more distinction to be made between the actual and the virtual. Maybe, maybe, maybe the actual and the virtual become so, so closely interwoven that, you know, we're, we're, we're just able to gain a new level of causative mental power. Um, like I, I guess the only, the only, um, I'll give a, a quick example of what I mean by that. When, when I think about my childhood and when I think about some children I've watched, I remember the first day I got my Super Nintendo, um, my mom set it up and, and if she just left me there, I would just melt into the screen, you know, like, okay. like just leave me there in my Super Mario world and I'm gone. And I'm happy, and, I, and I'm happy on my adventure, you know. And I, and I, and I, um, and I, you know, I've seen kids do similar things like that with Minecraft or something. And and I remember I had a bunch of friends who, who would do uh, huge World of Warcraft tournaments where they just lost themselves for 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 weeks and months in those simulated worlds. And and I think that. If those simulated worlds merge with our actual reality, I don't. I don't know if um, you guys remember what happened with. It's just a silly example, but I don't know if you guys remember what happened with Pokemon Go. I was just exactly going to say that. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, but but with Pokemon Go, you have the virtual merging with the actual in a way that we, you know, was an interesting phenomenon. And and I, I I wonder if phenomena like that, but maybe on a more intense order, are are waiting for us in the next fifty years or something. Yeah, I think that's actually really good insight, to be honest. Um, and my childhood, like I, like you just said there, Cadell. I mean, when I was playing the uh, your PlayStation One games, uh, I was just thinking, "Wow, these are getting so realistic." And all I wanted was the games to be more more realistic. So it obviously it is more like an advanced civilization could have easily just created um, this larger video game and just to um, get the whole idea of the more realistic approach. What I was thinking of is the more we are actually interacting with AI and we're interacting with this this computerized version of ourselves and maybe eventually the AI and the human vessel will actually interconnect and I was just thinking there, could you imagine like, um, this was where my mind was laying, <laughs> um, could you imagine like an AI like taking like down psychedelics for the first time? I mean, what would that say? I mean, how would that mind, how would that consciousness well, adapt? Well, but I mean... First, I, I, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't know how to answer the question, but I would say that the, the, the distinction I think that I, I hear made more and more and I think is important is we have to distinguish between artificial intelligence and artificial consciousness because they're not, they, we, we can't assume that the, we can't assume that the, the, the algorithms that we're developing will also be conscious. So I, I don't, and so I don't, and you know, the, the ability to experience transcendental phenomena in the ayahuasca, in the psychedelic context, um, are so, so interconnected with the fact that I am an embodied biological and, and linguistic entity um, that I, I don't know how an AI would synthesize those compounds or would experience that or even if AIs will ever be conscious. But I will say that one of the most interesting ideas I've, I've I've um, come across and discussed recently is a analogy with past evolutionary transitions with the development of multicellular life, 
where with the development of multicellular life, you had single-celled organisms that were consumed by larger, larger single-celled organisms and became internal to their internal to their biological processes. So then you had the birth of a multicellular entity. And it could be that that's the relationship between humans and AI. It could be that, that, that we could become engulfed in some sense or surrounded by um, this technological virtual environment that we are um, constructing and that we become sort of like internal components to their larger overall organization. Um, and so then our entire environment would switch from being the world to being this AI virtual environment. And I think that's, that's um, an interesting thing to think. And I don't think that, that that's been explored too extensively. Yeah, it's very interesting because Kandel, something that was in my mind there as well. So on this podcast so far, we've talked about sort of how um, even we've talked about how ex- our external world changing. And we've also talked about how even arguably our internal world would change as well. But it's interesting to me how like so, like we said on this podcast, we know that our sort of external world is changing. But have you ever thought about? I mean, because I'm asking the question myself, where's that? Where's that really coming from? Because it seems to me that there's, there's like an internal drive inbuilt within us, try, actually trying to push this change or change or or create a change, whatever you want to call it. But I'm actually thinking, well, I would love to see your thoughts on this, and this is another big question, but could it actually be to do with consciousness because I'm, or actually sort of our inner self or whatever you want to call it because I'm actually thinking that maybe something is actually inside of us is actually trying to wake us up to the fact that we are sort of fundamentally sort of a, um, a single sort of super intelligent organism. Yeah, I think that that line of that line of thinking is is something I'm... I'm very sympathetic with, and I, I, I mean, I have a, I have, I guess, developed some concepts from myself to try and describe what that, what that is or what that means, but I, I don't know how, how well thought out they are, just because it's so, it's so foreign for us, and I think it's so difficult for us to think about sort of an internal landscape of, an internal landscape of 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 the drive. Um, I, I I it's almost too complex a question to to give you yeah. the answer that I'd like to. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, most of our questions. Actually, <laughs> they're always trying to like push like the questions are kind of be answered, and that's how I like <laughs> to think of it. <laughs> but I but I think but I think there is an internal desire. I think mm. there's an internal there's an there's an internal desire to be something more than we are there's an internal desire to be to 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 either merge or to become something higher or something deeper than we are we i think that there's something internal and fundamental to human beings that suggests that we are a temporal fleeting phenomena that 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 one way or the other we are going to find a way to extend our fundamental nature yeah and the question is like, what's given us all that? What's <laughs> what's really pushed all that in into us, and what's actually created that whole understanding? What you've just said there, like everything of what you just said, how does it even how does a mind actually get to a point where we can ask such questions and really decipher them as well? And which this is this is fascinating. It it ha- it has to be in some sense connected. For me, it has to be in some sense connected to language to language and conceptualization because. Um, the the I mean, in my in my frame in my way of seeing the world, 
Um, death is a concept. Um, um, God is a concept. Yeah. Um, immortality is a concept. I mean, all of these are concepts, and and um, you can't conceptualize something. You you especially can't conceptualize something as 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 rich and complex and as abstract as the notion of death or the notion of immortality um, until you have a sophisticated internal linguistic architecture. Um, so you know to give a to give a maybe a a, a personal example. I, my I have a fam I have a family member that had a, a horrible childhood, and I remember asking him, you know, did did you did you ever think about uh, suicide, and and he said, if I knew what suicide was, I would have. Oh. Um, so so in other in other words, because he couldn't conceptualize suicide, he couldn't do it. And and this is not um, just um, a simple example because suicide, as we experience it in the human world, doesn't exist in the animal world. Chimpanzees don't commit suicide. You know, J Jane Goodall, I think, once fa uh, famously said that, you know, in all my years of observing chimpanzees, I've never seen a depressed chimp get up on the tree and jump from it. Oh. You know, uh, they, they, they just don't do it. And, and, and I think it's probably because um, great apes, to the degree that they can conceptualize their mortality, um, it's, it's, not, it's not, not rich enough to develop funeral ritual, rituals. Or, or complex self reflections on 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 existence. You know, it, it's yeah. you know, it's just not. Yeah, Cadell, I'm actually agreeing with you, um, 100%. I actually think um, I find it fascinating how we're the only species as well that goes through this self sabotage to the point where we actually want to end our own creation. And I think there's something terribly frightening within that, and especially maybe. <sighs> Is that the human experience that's really pushing that forward, or is it something completely different to getting in that, them realms of thought? I mean, I, I I think I think that's I think that's the human experience because because um, you know just the sim the simple fact that that material material affluence and and social social comforts. Um, don't help us solve or resolve our existential issues. Um, you know, there's so many examples, but but the 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 modern world has not gotten rid of our of our death anxiety. If anything, our death anxiety is higher than it was. Yeah, uh, it certainly in is. The past, um, you know, I just to give a, a a pop culture reference, but you guys probably know, you know, that the lead singer of Linkin Park. Um, Chester Bennington killed himself, and that's a, a, a good example of the type of things we're, we're talking about because he's the lead singer of a extremely successful rock band with millions of fans and as much social recognition and as material affluence as you could possibly want. Um, and, you know, that didn't solve his existential issue. Before as well, uh, Kandel, when you were talking about... Um... The con you're talking about how death and immortality being concepts sort of say it's very interesting because that made me think as well maybe i was actually thinking as well as to throw it out there i was thinking maybe uh in the future technology sort of um 
won't in a sense change immortality sort of physically but I was actually thinking maybe technology may actually show us, show us a glimpse or show us a sense of something that's within us like so in a sense so the un, even the understanding that I'm at now like I've had many different ex- sort of different I'm not going to go into them but I've had many different experiences where I've come to the realization that I know I'm not my body and things like that so maybe I was actually thinking maybe technology technology in the future in a sense could come along and actually shift sort of the human consciousness to realize that we may actually be sort of um all along we actually may be immortal anyway like our sort of energy force or whatever it may be do you understand what I mean I I I totally get that and I and I and I like that I I I think that um I think, yeah, it's it's sort of like um, there are many different spiritual traditions and yeah. conscious meditation practices and and different religious rituals that um, have always put humans in contact with something mm-hmm. more than them within themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know, famously, what Jesus said: "The kingdom of kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is within you." Um, that type of thing, and. Um, and I think that even um, with modern psychoanalysis, you have the identification of something more than you within you. You know, the unconscious realm of dreams and imagination, and and um, and of 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 symbols and archetypes that are not your creation, but they are there. Um, so you know, Jung I think focused on that a lot. Um, Definitely there are ways right now where we can get in touch with that part of ourselves. Um, but it could be that some future uh, technology or some future consequence of our becoming, either socially or psychologically, uh, puts us into a more direct, more immediate relationship to that phenomena. And we might be able to do sort of like a phenomenological cartography or we might be able to gain a new type of mental causative power as a relation in relation to that phenomena um, that allows us to actualize our desires or actualize our images mm. on a on a level that we currently can't um, so one of the things that I've I've sort of labored around in my PhD is that I have such a overwhelming diversity and and richness of ideas and and concepts that I struggle to put into words all the time. Yeah. But but it could be that and I'm sure anyone who's a a, a deep thinker feels that at at one point or another. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah, definitely. that it could be that the qualitative transition we're, we're, we're thinking about is that we are able to share those contents of our mind in a much richer way. So instead of us spending an hour doing this podcast, it could be that we were, would be able to share our internal spaces with each other in a way that we currently can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that mode of information transfer would be of a of a transhuman or an other 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 worldly order. Wow. Well, Cadell, you've definitely like um, formulated like a very unique understanding of existence, consciousness, like time, like evolution. You've definitely got given all this incredible knowledge to like your brain. I mean, it's definitely incredible. Um, could I ask you something? How is your expansion of like your knowledge like is adapted 
your own understanding and perception in terms of like how you view view your own reality and how you view your place in the universe? Well, I mean, I think the. I mean, I'm I'm only I'm only third I'm only thirty one. I've 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 been I've been driven, I've been driven by the desire to know for since I've been a young young adult. Um, I think that the older I get and the more I learn and the more I reflect, the more I want to become more comfortable with my mortality and my finitude and to enjoy to really to I, I, you know as interesting to be you know as interesting as talking about immortality in the future and i'm and i'm su- i'm certainly open and excited about that horizon um at the same time i really want to practice ways in which i can fully enjoy being who i am now um and appreciate that more i think that that in my experience over the last 5 years the the more I've become obsessed with uh, a type of transcendental horizon, if you will, um, the more I risked, the more I personally risked being bitter about my contemporary state. <laughs> and, and, um, and I think that, you know, in enjoying the magic that is sharing this hour with you talking about the universe yeah, yeah. Um, is, is in itself, this is an amazing experience, you know? And, and I think that trying to understand what we are doing right now and, and, and trying to understand what our desires are right now um, is, is I think where I want to focus my, 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 my big picture perspective. Beautiful answer that, by the way, as well, brother. And um, I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up as well. And just wanted to say as well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolute epic podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I think you guys are doing a great job and asking really interesting questions. And just keep on driving. Well, a a podcast is only as good as its answers. So thank you on your part, brother. Uh, Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Lots and many different questions are emerging in my mind after this one. It was such a cool conversation chatting to Cadell. And if you do want to delve more into this man's mind, please head over to his website at www.cadellast.com. And you need to check out some of this guy's articles and writings. He is asking all the big questions that we love on this podcast. And also, please consider joining the ascend community and becoming a patreon member and if you do become a patreon member you will be you will gain access to the private facebook community group where we all connect and discuss many different questions and you will also gain access to bonus content like bonus podcasts and other rants that don't just quite make the podcast so if all this does tickle your fancy please head over to our patreon page at www.patreon/send and join the community. And I just also want to say that we appreciate you all, we love you all, that you're coming on this journey with us. We're a part of your journey, but you are a big part of ours. So anyway, we'll catch you next week where we have the return of Matt Belay and Michael Sanders, where we talk about finding out who you are in a world that is constantly saying become something else. So we'll catch you all next week. Peace. Peace.